All right, welcome to part three of a series we're calling Where Love. This is your first time at Eastlake. Uh, welcome, and we're glad you checked this out. We are in halfway through, actually more than halfway through a little bit, uh, a four-part series called Where Love. Um, it's been a series on kind of outreach and, and uh, all what we perceive to be kind of how we do things in terms of taking care of others and being generous with our time and finances and all that good stuff. Um, if you missed any of the first two weeks, I'm going to do a brief recap here. I know the weather's been kind of terrible, so I totally get that. Week one was kind of like a, a typical opener for a series, like a rah-rah inspirational, here's why I think you should care about this kind of stuff. Uh, and we said that uh, love, according to the Apostle Paul, as he writes about it in Romans uh, chapter 12 and 13, is something that you do. Um, he, he begins to say um, something about in, in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, don't conform any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He goes into kind of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, he goes right into this exposition about love and how it's not a feeling that you have. Um, it's not the absence of hate. It's the absence of indifference. And it's something that you do and you never stop doing. Uh, and so that was kind of a, a big piece of that. And I know, like, listen, we're not... Romans, like the letter that he wrote wasn't addressed to us, but I really do genuinely feel like it shows up as the kind of like the primary thing of what it means to follow Jesus in so much of his writings. If we were to ask Paul in 2019, hey, would you write us a letter, give us some pastoral advice on what it means to follow Christ? I think that uh, that sort of love speak would show up over and over again and be something that would be relevant even for us today. So then in last week, in week two, uh, we basically said, ask the question, what does it look like for me we went to like real practical? And we said, what does love look like for me? And the answer that we got most common on the note sheets was tall, dark, handsome, and employed, but I'll settle for three out of four, but employed counts as two. Um, so that was, that's always interesting. Uh, and, and what we said was it's not a person, it's not a thing. It was basically in the season, in the situation, considering where I come from, considering my background, considering the fact that I'm a millennial or I'm a Gen Xer and I just watch the world burn, uh, considering all of the different factors, the fact that I'm, uh, I, I, I'm well off in terms of finances, considering I don't have a lot of finances, considering I do have kids or I don't have kids, what, does, uh, what, does it, what would it look like for me to wear love? What does love require of me in this current season that I'm in? And you need to be asking yourself that question. You need to, give, you need to have people who have permission in your life to be asking you that question. That's all uh, great and important. And today... Today, we're going to move on to uh, a little bit uh, different of a series. In fact, um, a little insight into how my mind works. And a word of caution, if you love the first two, which were very, very practical, it was, again, rah-rah inspirational, dives into something practical, and you walked away from that going, this is so simple, I don't know why there's more parts of this series, um, then you may not like today. But if you, if you walked away from the first two and be like, yeah, but, right, because you're a processor, you're a thinker. You're, you're somebody that's like, uh, I need a little bit more of the why behind the what. Don't just tell me what to do. Tell me why I need to do it and I need to get there. And this, that, this is for you. This is for the, the, the me, right? This is for the, uh, the type of person who I question about motives. I question about right reasons for doing things. And it's not just to do, and it's not enough for me to do the right thing. I need to know because uh, I, I know I've seen this. You, you can do the right things for the wrong reasons, and it's not, it's not a good thing. I don't want you to just be going through the motions because out of an obligation uh, to like appease me or to appease God or to, um, to, to have like this facade thing. I want, you, I want to want to do this for the right thing, right? So like, for instance, when it comes to my, my, uh, my relationship with my wife, right? We just had Valentine's Day, uh, what, in February? 
I think that's what it is every year. Um, and uh, it, there's like this, the pressure, right, that you felt at some point for, for, for many of you to do something for that special someone in your life, to buy the flowers, to buy the chocolates. And then every once in a while, like, yeah, but like, come on, that feels like a marketing play from Russell Stover because they can't sell chocolates the rest of the year. So now they've got to like build it into this one day. And, and, I, and so there's always like this thing inside of me that questions if I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do it. Um, why don't I just tell you, because we share the same bank account anyways, I would have bought you something, but I'm not going to play into the marketing scheme that others are trying to impress onto us. Okay, babe? So it's the thought that counts, right? And she'd be like, no, I really wanted some chocolate. I really wanted some roses from you. I need, I need some sort of a message uh, from you. It's, it's enough. You, know, you, you need to do something as opposed to just thinking about it. But I don't know. For me, like, there's something in there that's like, yeah, but the, it's a broken system. And if I do it, it's just cliche and I'm playing to it. And I don't, I don't want to be there. And when it comes to this idea of, all right, you hear somebody like me stand up in front and be like, all right, you should go out and be generous with your time and finance and all this kind of stuff. You should wear love for people. You'd be like, yeah. I'll get there. I, I, I agree. I agree that that's a good thing. I appreciate that. I like photos of, of people who are doing good things in the world. Uh, I support nonprofits um, emotionally, not financially, but I support them. Um, and I'm super excited about what they're doing in our community and all of that. Uh, and I'm going to even try to, to do some things like you. Thank you, Brent, for in the leadership team or whatever, for uh, creating opportunities like a soul soup thing where we're going to go out and serve in the soup kitchen or go down to the mission or do fun, wear, love, serve events. Could you make them a little bit more uh, uh, different in times because those times just don't work out for me or whatever? We, we, like, we want to do those things, but we're cautious. We're, 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 uh, we, we hold back a little bit because we're a, a little bit afraid of our motives. Like I want to want to do those things. And I could go and hate the entire time that I'm there. Now, you would never know it. I'm good at putting on a face. I'm good at acting like I want to be there. But really, I want to be home watching Netflix. So I need help adjusting my motives. So our prayer oftentimes, for those of us who are processors and hear this and feel like we're being potentially guilted into being a good person. And I, but I want to be a good person. I get it. But God, help me to want to want to be there. I want to want to be there Give me the motivations. Give me the help to get, kind of make this thing happen. So to help illustrate this, and I know this is going to sound like a left turn, but um, I want to talk about The Bachelor for a second, okay? Um, now, my wife refuses to watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette with me anymore. We watched it for several seasons in a row, and then she, was just, she just decided one day, much to my chagrin, like, she's just like, I'm done. I think I'm done. A new season is coming up, and I'm like, are you ready? It's Bachelor Monday! And she's like, I think I'm done. And I'm like, Okay. Why? So then the question becomes, well, then why are you done? And it was just like, it's, it feels like it's a waste of my time. It's a two-hour show with like 12 minutes of content, and I'm using the word content very loosely, okay? I get that. And it felt, and I get, I understand where she's coming from. She's like, it feels a little bit like a soap opera that's repetitive. They keep interchanging the characters, but the things always amount to be the same. It's always, it's always, by the way, um, I'm just not getting enough time with him. I'm not getting enough time with her. I got to take advantage of my time with her. The, the one thing you need to know about this, guys, is take advantage of the time. It's so limited. Make sure you get advantage of the time. All five minutes that you have with this man, you need to make sure that you take advantage, full advantage of this. And then uh, the, the idea, the repetitive nature of like the promo for it, which was like, here's what you're going to watch. Here's what you watched. Um, and here's what you're you know, watching next week. It was always just like, it was like, Again, 12 minutes of content, two, minutes, two hours of programming. Um, and then our favorite, and not so favorite, but the one that kind of causes the processing inside of me to laugh in terms of motives 
is the idea of being here for the right reason. So I found something this week. Check this out. Tonight on The Bachelor. There are women who are not here for the right reasons. Tierra's not here for the right reasons. Do you think that you talk to JoJo for the right reasons? She's stunning and her dress is beautiful, but it sort of seems like she's not here for the right reasons. She's not here for the right reasons. <laughs> nope. I feel like she may not be here for the right reasons. Um, and that I'm here for the right reasons. Not being here for the right reasons. Courtney's not here for the right reasons. I'm here for the right reasons, so. They're not here for the right reasons, and I just, I know you're here for the right reasons. And I know she's here for the right reasons. <laughs> you can see that? You can just see by his demeanor. He is not here for the right reasons. <laughs> or that you're nervous that I'm not here for the right reasons. Um. One thing I do know about Vienna is she is absolutely here for the right reasons. I'm like, seriously? I'm doing everything I can to show him I care for him and I'm here for the right reasons. I'm here for the right reasons. Why aren't I getting that one-on-one time? So, for those of you who don't watch this show, you're sitting there going, oh my God, who watches this garbage? Previously, me. Now, no longer. However, uh, uh you see this come up and you see a repetitive nature behind right reasons and, and motives and always questioning these sort of motives in this way. So I love it because I, I for me, it was always a social thing. It was always watching these women and, or men on The Bachelor 2 or The Bachelorette 1 or whatever um, try and address the, and, and always come through with potentially my motives are pure but everybody else that's here has ulterior motives, right? Mine are good, everyone else's is bad, and the jaded nature that comes with evaluating motives. So I want to speak to that a little bit today as it comes to doing good and wearing love and all of that thing. Because in week one, we said this. You can be for something, but actively disengaged in something. You can be for the idea of being married, but actively disengaged in the relationship, um, which is why love is something that you do. Um, that it requires in action and in the processor side of you or the, in any relationship, there's usually one that's like, eh, and the other one's like, let's just go do this, right? Um, uh, yes, but you can do the right thing for all the wrong reasons. Again, and I got an email this week from somebody in our, uh, in our small group and she attends the church, her name's Elise, and she began to talk to me through about uh, Enneagram styles, which I'm not gonna go into Enneagram styles today, but diff- basically different personality types. How for some personality types, Brent, I feel like this series really engages um, certain, certain numbers or certain types or certain people who are like, who for them to do feels like I'm accomplishing something and I'm, I'm doing good. And then there are those of us who... Pr- like there's a there's an internal component to this that we want to get right that it's not enough like doing feels like escaping if you ask me to do it I'll do it but I never really want to do it and I never and I don't think that it's okay to to get to that spot because because love has an internal component in fact it has a critical internal component why am I even doing this why am I doing this in the first place and you see this a lot by the way in the in the world of in the mindset of creatives if you know somebody who's like a creative personality um, they are the ones that most uh, intrinsically push back against this. They ask the que- themselves the question a lot, why do we want to do this? What if I choose to be different? I'm opposed to this head down, plug away, eventually it pays off type of thing. And here's what's interesting. It's not that these types of people who are creatives and push back against this and question about the motives of doing good things don't want to do good or to be kind. In fact, they're oftentimes way better at those things than the rest of us. 
But they would say things like this. I know that this is what love requires of me. I know that the other option is oftentimes veiled selfishness. That I know for me to say that, that I can question the motives of this as an excuse to get away with, I know what I should do, but I'm going to say, I don't know if I really want to. Like for, for me, if I was to say, babe, it's all a system. I don't want to buy you flowers because like, that's just like Costco telling me I should spend $15 on flowers for you, right? <laughs> yes, or you genuinely don't want to spend $15 because you're cheap, right? So that's possible. I know it can be a veil for selfishness. Help me to want to want to do these things. Now, here's the best part about this. All right. Paul is going to talk about a little bit something along these lines in, again, this letter to this Roman, Roman church, which again, people he'd never met, um, people he's sort of trying to impress, um, he's speaking to them, trying to help guide them as like a pastoral authority, even though you don't know me. Um, so it's very, uh, it's very academic. It's very uh, technical language a lot of times, and you'll see that show up today. Um, but I, I, there's a passage that, um, when I read it, it might be familiar to you if you grew up in church. Books and books and books have been written on this passage. It's a very, very difficult, complex passage. I do not claim to have ultimate clarity for it. I do feel like my role as a pastor oftentimes is to take things that are complex and try and put handles on them and make them a little more palatable because you have a job and you have kids and soccer games to go to. And so how do we make this thing practical? So my goal today is to attempt to bring a little bit of clarity to this, although this thing is incredibly complex. And as deep as you want to go, I think it only gets more beautiful and complex as you study this thing further. And I'm only picking a selection of verses. And one more thing to remember about Paul's writings. Uh, all of his writings uh, focus on what's called the indicative and the imperative, okay? Indicative meaning he oftentimes takes the very first part of his letters to talk about who you are, who you are in Christ, what it means to be a child of God, and then what you should do, which is, this is great. Anytime that you as a parent have ever sat down, it's like your kid's birthday, right? And you're going to write a card for them, uh, or you're going to like, I don't know, you get like this emotional thing. Maybe you're like one of those people who are like, I want to be a dad that's like a mentor to my kid. I'm going to write you a letter. I'm going to put it in like some sort of a keepsake box. And I'm going to spend a large majority of my time um, telling you how much I love you as my son, right? Or as my daughter, or here's who you are. And no matter what you do, I'll always love you. But then you also want to have, you feel like a responsibility as a dad to have good words of advice. Like I've been around this thing. I'm going to say the things that nobody else is going to teach you. I'm going to, I want to be uh, somebody who teaches you the way that life actually works so that you come to me when life doesn't work. And then you can potentially listen to my advice. But if I lead with advice and I, have, I speak nothing about the relationship, we've seen uh, that sort of a parent-son, parent-daughter relationship not work out so smooth. So you know that the best path forward is um, speak highly about who you are and then offer words of advice based on the fact that you, I'm, you know I'm already into you. You know how much I love you. You know who you are and whose you are. Now, in light of that, you should go do this. So all of Paul's writings focus on those types of things. Oftentimes, there's almost a clear delineation in the actual letters that takes place. Um, and so this passage that I'm going to talk to you about falls under the category of indicative. When we said in Romans 12 and 13, back in week one, that was more on the imperative side of things. This is Paul is trying to identify with this people group that he's never met. And he's going to say something. Here's what I know about you, even though I've never met you, because I know it about me. And I think this is true for all humans. I think this is true for human nature, so listen to what I have to say about this, and if you, if you like what I have to say, then listen to my advice when I say don't conform any longer to the patterns of the world to be transformed, okay? So that's, that's what we're going into. So not like this, this passage that we're going to look at is not three steps to making your life beautiful. 
to tidying up your lifestyle, right? This is not a Marie Kondo. This is not anything happening in, in, in this way in practical sense of the terms. He is speaking on a different level, on a perspective level, on a why behind the what. Let's dive in. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. It's kind of what it sounds like a little bit, right? Here's what he's saying in this, just so we're clear. Paul is not evaluating his good and proper behavior. He is recognizing he's speaking to the dark side of his personal behavior. He is going to be challenging the motives. See, I, I led into this saying, we question our motives, like we present God with like this, I'm a pretty good person, but like if you could align my motives to match my actions, then that would make me a great person. I know that I'm a good person because everybody can be like, I think you're so generous with your time. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I don't want to be here. I don't want to let you know that because that would look, make me look bad and discredit this whole situation. So, But what we're asking God in that sense is to make something good into something great. Paul takes the opposite approach, and he says, let me do some introspective work like out on paper and kind of bare my soul with you for a second. I find myself doing the things I know I shouldn't be doing. I, the things that I hate, I find myself doing those exact same things. I shouldn't do this, but I do. I should do this, but I don't. And instead, I do all the things I know I shouldn't do. He's starting from a very different starting point than us. We would say I'm pretty good by my motor actions, but help me to be really good. Help me to be really, really great, God. Align my motives. And Paul would say the opposite things. He doesn't start from us being good. He basically says, I suck. Why do I suck so bad? Why am I horrible? What is it with me? Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And if I do the things that I don't want to do, and I know that I don't want to do them, what I'm doing is I'm appeasing, a, I'm, I'm affirming a conscience that is telling me that this is not right. And for me to be able to exclusively identify that something that's not right means I have to identify that something is right. He's saying, every time I know I shouldn't, I'm validating another option, something I should have done instead. Verse 17, as it is, this is, you're already you're like, dude, this is, you have not done any sort of clarity to this at all. I, I get it, right? We'll get there. As it is, verse 17, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin is living within me. So, okay, this is interesting, because now he's taking a little bit of a twist on things. He said everything that we know about, and even in our lives, if we were to do like a self-autobiography, or self-autobiography, that's repetitive. Anyways, if we were to write about ourselves, we would look back on our life and be like, I, I know, I know I should do things, and I, and I don't do them, and I, these things that I hate, I find myself doing. He's hoping that people will read this and be like, um, I'm probably not supposed to admit that, but me too right? Uh, I feel the same way. And then he says, and that thing that's in me that caused me to do it, that's not even, it's, it's not, it's no longer myself who do it. It's sin with, living within me, which sort of sounds like a little bit of a cop-out, kind of like, oh, the devil made me do it. All these bad things that happened, that's not really me. I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry I cheated on you. That's not really me, right? Which sounds like, a, uh, no, it's exactly you. What are you talking about? But he's not making excuses for himself here. He's making a statement on his and, I believe, our human nature, that everything that he does, everything, and this is him, again, not, I love this because he's not preaching at it. He could have said, you are, are bad, you're horrible, you do things that you know you shouldn't do. He instead takes this ownership of it and says, I don't know if this is like you, I think it is because we're all humans. I find myself doing these things. I find that it's, 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 um, it doesn't even feel like me. I, I get that feeling, but it is 
within me. He's owning this nature, that this gross side of me is in me. He's basically saying, I, I could pass this off and say, um, you know, the devil made me do it or whatever, but I, I, this thing is within me. He's not making excuses for himself. Um, he's basically, and if you've ever caught yourself daydreaming about something, you're glad your brain doesn't have a search history setting for? You ever thought like that? Boy, I know my, I know my computer has a search history. I'm glad my brain doesn't, because if my wife knew, you, if you've ever let your eyes linger a little longer than they should, if you've ever had a conversation that went a little too far, because you know she's married, he's married, whatever, nobody at work's ever going to say anything. Whatever. Paul is saying, I can't say that's not me any longer. I know that whatever that is, that that is within me. I don't want it to be me in the same way that you don't want it to be you. I want to put safeguards in my life to keep me from going down that road, but the very fact that it's a live option says so much about me. Now, this is important, because whether you like it or not, there are things that are live options for you and me every single day, and this is what Paul is trying to get to. He's trying to say there are things that we know we ought not do and we would think, who would ever, like, I would never. And when we hear stories of people making horrible decisions, the consequences and the ramifications are huge. They lose their job, they lose their marriage, they lose half their income, they lose blah, 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 blah. And you think, how did they get to that spot? Not me, not me. I would never, I would never, I would never. And that's just a denial of the reality that Paul says is within every single one of us, that we are all broken in this way. Now, at this point, if you're following along, you should probably be saying, Brent, what does any of this have to do with wearing love? Because you were far more positive in weeks one and two. I left one, week one and two feeling inspired to go be great and like live out my greatness, right? And now in here you're like, we're all just trash. Paul says, I'm trash. I know what I am. How do you respond with this? Here's where the twist and the turn takes for Paul. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell on me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I have the desire to do good, but even that I cannot carry it out. So when we say, God, help me to want to do good, that requires that you start with the premise that you are good, and Paul's saying, I can't help you with that because your premise is all wrong. If you start off with, I want to be a good person, I genuinely, genuinely want to be generous and all this stuff, and I'm trying to be, and I'm doing good, God, if you could make me a little bit better, if you could tweak me a little bit and make me, make me great because I'm already good, that would be great. And Paul's saying, I'm going to have to have you rewind that even further. Now, generally, you've heard me say that we all want to be generous and good people, and that's a true general feeling. But Paul is saying, listen, that's not really you, you are no different than the social media, this is Paul talking about, you are no different than the social media marketing blonde on season 23 of The Bachelor who looks straight in the camera and says she's here for the right reasons while the rest of America watches on their TV screens on their couches and says, ah, sure you are, right? When you say, God, help me to be here for the right reasons, help me to do these things for the right reasons, you're asking for a little tweak and Paul is saying, it's, listen, it's so much further back than that. Listen, you can't be at the bachelor mansion asking for help from the producers to make you feel like you're here for the right reasons. It's already too late. You're at the mansion. When you ask these women these questions or these men, I don't want to isolate it. The bachelorette is even worse, right? When you ask these contestants, why did you come on this show? Their natural reaction is always, I want to came here to find love. Repetitive, everyone. No, you didn't, right? 
You've watched the show long enough, or maybe you haven't, but you just watched four minutes of it or a minute of it. Actually, that clip was originally four minutes long. I cut it down to one minute, but it felt like four, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's how the whole show feels. All right. You watch this and you think, you did not hear it come here to find love. You came here to build your brand, to travel the world on ABC's dime, to become the Nets Bachelorette, to keep the cycle going. So, in relation to our attempted goodness and our motives for being good, we might, in the same vein or whatever, say, God, as I'm doing this good thing, whether it's serving soup in a local soup kitchen or at the mission or doing good things in the world or whatever, help me to want to be here. We would ask the question, well, why did you show up to serve anyways in the first place? And our natural thing would be, well, to wear love, which sounds like the right thing to say, but if there's like an inner voice within you, or maybe you have a friend that really does know you, and you allow them to say these things, and you laugh about it, but no, it's not. You did it to post it on social media because nothing generates social capital like generosity, I did it to wear love. No, you didn't. You did it to ease your guilty conscience for living for yourself the other 99% of the time. I did it to, I do this to wear love. No, you did it because Brent makes it sound like you're not a good enough Christian if you don't. You did it because you heard you get a t-shirt and a water bottle if you show up, and I like that kind of branding in my life, and I think, I think that maybe I want people to think of me like that, right? Paul addresses a core concern. He says, why do I want to do any of this and he recognizes and easy points to, listen, it goes back even further in, than that. There's something in me inherently, uh, like a sinful nature sort of thing. And so he, there's a few more verses that go along with this. We're going to jump down a little bit. You can read those on your own. That gets a little bit repetitive. But verse 24 says this. Here's his conclusion. Here's his logical response. If this is all true, if there's a darkness that is within me that is actually me, that everything else is just like this made-up thing of me that I'm trying to work through and I, I, I want to get core back at my motives. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I've had people come up after service and say, man, the reason I love this church is because you call us, like you speak to us um, with so much grace that like I feel like we're, I feel like we're good. Like I've been a part of a church. I, I didn't like it because they they kept talking about how bad and sinful I was every day, right? And they beat me over the head with this, like, sin thing, right? And uh, I, I, I get it. Like, I, I, I want to try and I think that God, when I see Jesus mixing and mingling with sinners and tax collectors, he operates with an incredibly high level of grace, And yet, we need grace and truth in our life, both at the same time, high levels of grace, high levels of truth. And here's Paul just being absolutely truthful about himself, me, internally. I don't need encouragement to be a little bit better than what I currently am. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. His prayer is not, Heavenly Father, tweak my motives a little bit. Help me to want to want to be here. I'm going to do this, but like, help me to want to want to be here. Give me this like proper adjustment than that. It goes so much further back than that. It's him basically saying, if there is any inkling in me to desire to wear love, help me to recognize that that is you in me, not me being a good version of me. If, if there is anything within me, help me to know 
that at the core of myself is, is I'm inherently selfish. So any good thing that I want to do is not me going a little bit of ways, and if you could just take it and modify it and adjust it and make me good from good to great, that'd be awesome, God. That little thing within me that wants to be good is you. That's the motive. That's a better question of motives. That's a better right reason. I want you to want to do things in the community. I want you to want to wear love. I want you to be able to look at the way that you raise your kids and be like, all right, I can either raise kids just to raise kids, or I can raise kids in a way of wearing love as my opportunity, as my role, as a parent and as a, as a, as a, as a guardian or whatever. I, I want, you, could, you could be a good boss to be a good boss and make a difference in the community, whatever that means, or you could see it as an opportunity to wear love to reflect grace. I want you to want to do it, but when you do it, I want you to know that that's not you being good and God can help make you great. That is that piece of you that was created by God to do that, that we are all image bearers. So when I do those things, I'm actually stepping into and becoming more like what you are. And the reason perhaps that I like it so much is not because I can feel good about myself, but because this is who you are. And when I'm doing that, I'm becoming everything that you created me to be. Why do any of this? Because when I participate in it, it feels like you. It's a healthier understanding of me doing good means I am living up to my true potential as made in the image of God. There's a guy named Nicholas Walterstorff who writes about this. Here's what he says. Hopefully, with this kind of a backdrop, this quote can kind of pop out in our brains a little more. Authentic faith is to image God ever more closely by becoming like Jesus Christ, the express image of the Father. In what respects do we mirror God? In our knowledge, in our love, in our justice, in our sociality, in our creativity. These are the answers the Christian tradition offers to us. So Heavenly Father, when I'm doing good, when I'm choosing to wear love, as I kind of graduate from this series or this course or whatever, and I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try and be more generous with my time and I'm gonna try and give myself away for the sake of others. I'm not doing this to impress you because you are not impressed with this. I like the version of me that I'm becoming because it looks a lot like you. And my prayer throughout this process is help me, keep me from just chasing against empty motives empty reasons. Instead, like Paul, allow me the grace to throw myself entirely on you to say what a wretched person that I am if left unto myself. And yet, you take me and want to use me. Now, verse 25, I left half of that verse off intentionally because here's where we're gonna go with it. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is his concluding thought, by the way. This is it. After this is a chapter break, it goes under a different thought. There were no chapters when Paul wrote it, but a different, a shift in thinking this way. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What's he saying here? He's saying, I recognize my tendency to drift. So my prayer, my response, my thing that I want to do, God, help my mind to get here even when and if my body doesn't. Because I could go out of this week and I could be like, okay, when I give myself away, I'm walking in the image of God. But there is a natural tendency for us to drift into sort of a pseudo-moralism 
God loves me because I'm just, just doggone it, I'm a really good person. Look at all the things that I do. And neglect to see that that is the image of God making itself known in this. And it through us and through our life. So God, help me to see this in my mind even when my flesh, my body, this, that's his way of saying just like the ugly side of me chooses to serve, or not chooses, falls under the curse of sin. Father, renew my mind even if and when my body forgets. He bears his soul. Paul bears his soul and issues a prayer that we can all pray as we go forward too. So, for you to say, for us to say, for me to say, God, help, give me the right reasons for this, is really like shallow, short thinking anyways. It goes so much back further than that. God, help me to see that as I'm doing this, I'm walking more in your image. And there is going to become a time when my body forgets and I do it and there's selfish motives and, it, and it's, I, I, get, I, I feel dirty because I did something nice, but like... Yes, I will take that tax receipt. Thank you very much, because I need that. Um, I'm going to do this, but yeah, I'm going to post on it and be like, hashtag giving myself away, because I really do want people to see. Um, and that's, I, that's a dark side of me I'm not proud about. But God, help me, help me to be the type of person who responds to your love and to your grace in my life with something as natural, even though it feels unnatural, as natural as walking into your image and being about the, this idea of putting on love in the same way that I see your son modeled it for me so long ago. So that's our prayer. <clears throat> and I know it's, it's way more philosophical, and there's like, what do I even do about this? Like, it's, so for those of you who are like, that, that's not enough handles. I have nothing to do with this on Monday. I know, but there's a few of us that are like, okay, now I can get there. Now I can, now my mind said, that, that's enough for me to go off of. That's enough for me to have in my mind as I go out. And then, I, and, and then as I'm challenged with this, I'm not, I, I understand that I'm, I'm probably going to be tempted to make this about me and it's going to be shallow and it's going to be dumb. And my, my, my body is going to go there, but my prayer is my mind would retain this idea that I am the image of God making himself known. So next week, we come back. We conclude this thing. We wrap it all up in this really fancy bow. It's really inspiring. And we learn what it means to wear love in our life. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we ask that you would, uh, we ask the same thing that Paul basically prays. God, give us the mindset even when our body goes differently. Even when our self and everything about us inevitably does something selfish. We beg, we beg that we would uh, at least a piece of us continue to operate in the grace that we've so focused on today. Give us the ability to see past uh, the motives of appearance or guilt or shame or whatever. Help us to instead See it as that's what people made in God's image do. That's what you do. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. The courage to act on it in your name. Amen.